Come on in. Have a seat. Check, check, check. Is it working? I can't hear it. There we go. I can hear it. Come on in. Find a seat. Don't be, don't be shy. We're glad you're here. Uh, we have been working through the last chapter in Hebrews for the, uh, the entirety of this summer. And we've been saying that Hebrews... Uh, oh, I'm forgetting. Sorry. I get off one week and then I forget what I'm supposed to be doing. Elementary age school kids, it's time for meet uh, the Mercy House kids class. Head on down. So we've been saying that the first 12 chapters of Hebrews really is the theology of how Jesus saves us. And then Hebrews 13 shows us how that gospel shapes us. Just the everyday, day in, day out life uh, of the Christian. And so we've been looking at uh, not only the, the, what saves us, which, which is the faith, the Christian faith, but we've been looking at what, how, how we're shaped, the practice. And we started off with uh, Hebrews 13, 1 through 3. We read, uh, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. And we said the gospel-saved and gospel-shaped people take care of the vulnerable, like those in prison, those who are being mistreated. And they do that because they were vulnerable and had no way of saving themselves, and Jesus saved them in the gospel. We read verse 4, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. We said gospel-saved, gospel-shaped people honor marriage and they keep it pure by remaining sexually abstinent before marriage and be remaining sexually faithful in marriage. And we said that this shows the devotion that Christ has for His church. And then we read from verse 5 and 6, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? And we said that gospel-saved, gospel-shaped people don't turn to money to meet their deepest needs, but instead they turn to God for their deepest needs to be provided for, including their own material needs and well-being. And then last Sunday we heard, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And so we said that that gospel shaping that occurs in the church is occurring through the leadership of the church who are showing and telling and then the church imitates what they're hearing and what they're seeing and the people who shepherd and teach in the church. And all of this is very much a work in progress. It's a process, right? You, you don't become a Christian and suddenly you're perfectly loving others with brotherly love. Right? You, you don't become a Christian and instantly you're honoring uh, the, the, you know, your sexuality and, and the sexuality of others. You don't instantly live contentedly with, with your wealth or lack thereof. These things are a process. This, this is an ongoing, growing experience that 
happens even in the lives of leaders who are showing and telling. They too are growing. They are in a process of, of being changed. The church is in a constant state of change. This is why when we give our vision statement, we say we're a household of faith that's being built. You may think, when are we going to get this thing built, right? Never. We're like road construction, right? It's just this ongoing building and building and building, both adding new people who are becoming Christians uh, to, to our church, but also building up the ones that are already members of the church. It's an ongoing, ever-changing process. And this is especially true at, at Mercy House. Uh, we say hello to around 50 new people in September. We say goodbye to about 50 people in May when they graduate. And not only those who graduate, but just those that are part of the community. There, there's a lot of people that come in for a temporary time and then they go out. Uh, people like Tom and Jennifer Van Winkle and Lamar and Tammy Gore and Martin and Kristen, Christina Burry. Uh, these were like pillars in our church. Most of you don't even know who they are, right? And it's it, it, this ongoing change of, of people coming in and, and going out. But obviously church isn't the only thing changing. Right? Uh, we think about our own lives over the last 12 months. Has anyone's body changed in the last 12 months? Whether you want to admit it or not, yes, it has. Um, your families have changed. Right? Your job has changed. Even if you're in the same job, it's, it's still not the same job. It's changed over the last 12 months. Your bank account has changed. Your friendships have changed. And then think about our country. Our country has changed. The political landscape has changed. You think globally, right? The, uh, global politics have, have changed. There's been so much change. And, and it doesn't take long for us to, to, as we think about that, to be constantly reminded of, of change. And, and one of the, the things that constantly reminds us of that is, is social media. I mean, it, talk about change. In fact, let me check my Instagram because it was... 45 minutes ago when I checked it. So, um, oh, wow, the Moylans, they just posted a picture about Mo and Michelle. I don't know who that is. Uh, Josh Moody, oh, my friend, he just did a new devotional. Oh, David Crowder, cool. That's cool. Uh, oh, sorry, did you tag me there? Oh, let me check on it. It's constantly changing, right? We're just being inundated with, with change. Uh, but everything's not changing. There is one who does not change. And, and that's what we hear today in this verse, right? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's say that verse together. We're going to memorize a verse today. You can memorize this one right now. Ready? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Well done. You memorized the verse. Hebrews 13.8. This is the one thing that will not change. So we want to answer some questions about this. We want to uh, answer the question, what is meant by saying that Jesus Christ doesn't change? I think that begs a few questions. You start thinking about that. What does that exactly mean? We want to dig into that. Uh, is this a good thing or a bad thing that Jesus doesn't change? And then how should I respond to this truth that Jesus doesn't change? So what is meant by he not changing? Is it good or bad? And how should I respond? These, this is the, the sermon. This is where we're headed. 
So what does it mean? Now, at first glance, it might seem that this is not a good thing. Jesus doesn't change. As human beings, we're all about change. We're all about progress, growth. We're all wanting to change, but not Jesus. He's not changing. Well, why not? Well, short answer is because he's God. God doesn't change. Right? The verse is at least indirectly saying Jesus is God. Jesus is, the theological word is, he's immutable. That just means he doesn't change. Right? He is God. And he can't change because he's perfect. God's perfect. He's holy. If he were to change, that would imply that at some point he was not perfect and then he got perfect. Or, even worse, that he was perfect and then he got imperfect. So he can't change. He's immutable. He is perfect. He is holy. God is better than Superman. Right? God's way better than Superman. So Superman... It's pretty nice to have around. Let's just be honest, right? He can leap tall buildings in a single bound. He can lift, you know, trains over his head with one arm. But you cannot trust in Superman 100% because of kryptonite. Because of kryptonite. Because of kryptonite, the man of steel becomes the man of mush. I could beat up Superman if he was around kryptonite, I think. I mean, I don't know. I haven't tried it. Right? God has no kryptonite. Nothing can get to him. Not, nothing can change him. The theological word is he is impassable. Nothing acts on him. He acts on others. And so the, he has no kryptonite. He does not change. Now you may be thinking, now wait a minute, I, I, I remember some verses that it seems like God changes Right? Changes his mind or seems to be emotional. Like, what's going on there? Good question. Good question. Let's look at some of the clearest, uh, one of the cl- clearest examples of this. First uh, Samuel fifteen eleven, where God says, I regret that I've made Saul king, for he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Now, that sounds like God changed. He made Saul king. He's excited. He's like, so happy. Oh, now I regret. He didn't turn out like I thought he was. But in the very same chapter, a few verses later, Samuel says this, And also the glory of Israel, that's God, will not lie or have regret. For he's not a man that he should have regret. Very same chapter. One verse says he regrets, one verse says, oh, no, 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 God does not regret. What's, what's going on here? Well, it's letting us know that when the Bible ascribes human emotions to God, it's not an exact parallel with the emotions that we experience as human beings. They are what's known as an anthropopathism. This is a theological nerd sermon, if you haven't guessed this, okay? There's some, so, I know some of you are going, oh, I'm going to take a nap, but... Uh, it's an anthropopathism. That's ascribing human emotion to God, but, but it's different than how we experience emotion. We experience emotion when we're acted on by something outside of us, and we begin to feel something. That's, that's not how God does emotions, right? Everything that comes from God is something that He has willed, something He has purposed. It comes out of Himself. He initiates that. 
But by ascribing emotions to God, it, it at least helps us to some degree understand him better. Much like an anthropomorphism, which be ascribing physical attributes to God. Like sometimes we say the right hand of God. Well, do we think that God has a right hand? No, we don't think that. But it helps us understand, right? Because we at some level reflect the image of God, not all of God. There are attributes that we don't communicate, but in some way we do communicate. So when we talk about the right hand of God, it helps us understand who God is, although we know that God does not have a right hand. So we want to be careful that we don't make exact parallels between God and human beings, especially regarding his emotions. Now, again, part of how he can be immutable, he can be unchangeable, and he can express emotions is that he is eternal. Right? He, he doesn't experience things in a linear time frame. He experiences everything at the same time. And so even his emotions are the result of his will, his purpose. He's not acted on He acts on others. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the one who's the initiator of all things. He always has been. He always will be. That's what we're reading in Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm advocating what would be known as closed theism. Right? God does not change, as opposed to open theism, which says that God does change. And I think that's not biblical, and that's heretical, right? That closed theism is an accurate view of who God truly is. Now, again, we start to think, well, what about Jesus? I mean, surely Jesus changed. We read verses like Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. That sounds like change. And indeed, he did experience the, the experience of maturity from a an infant to a toddler to a teen to a grown man, right? But what's happening here is that Jesus is experiencing change in his human nature, not in his divine nature. We read something similar regarding change. Uh, Hebrews 5, 8 and 9, although he was a son, talking about Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. So again, it's, 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 it's it, describing Jesus in his human form, learning, experiencing maturation, experiencing change. So when we say he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we're not talking about his human nature. We're talking about his divine nature. And, and those are not mixed. They don't interact with each other. This was hammered out in the Council of Chalcedon in AD 451. And the whole reason was to clarify how the human nature and the divine nature of Jesus interacted or didn't interact. Here's a quote from that creed that came out of the Council of Chalcedon. Born of the Virgin Mary, okay, so he's born, the mother of God according to the manhood, okay, so according to humanity, one and the same, Christ's Son, Lord, okay, now he's divine, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one substance, 
not parted or divided into two persons. All right, you can go back and read the, that, that creed of Chalcedon. But it's basically saying Jesus is one person, two natures. And those natures are separate. They're not mixed. They don't impact one another. The divine nature does not change. Now, this sounds very static when we say Jesus doesn't change, but it's absolutely the opposite. God is absolutely active. He's being consistent with His unchangeable character. I mean, this is true of people too, whether you're static or active, it's being consistent with your character. If all you do is lie around on the couch every day, you're being consistent with your lazy character, right? But if you're active and you're moving and you're working, you're being consistent with your character. So God is being consistent with His character, His unchangeable character, and He's active. He's very active. Jesus talks about this when He's getting some criticism about working on the Sabbath, and He's healing someone on the Sabbath, and he's, it says, verse 16 of John 5, and this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because He was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, my Father is working until now, and I am working. And so God is always at work. Jesus is always at work. And so even though he's unchangeable, he's consistent with this unchangeable character, and he's always at work. He's always initiating. He's always making things new. So Jesus, in his divine nature, is unchangeable. And the next question is, is that good or is that bad? Is that good news? Right? Is Jesus unchangeable? It sounds good, I think. But is it bad? Because when you have a bad leader, you want them to change. Right? My son Corey has had a, a pretty hard supervisor, an, an incompetent supervisor for quite some time, and he's really wanted something to change. And the other day, he calls us, and he is absolutely elated because the, the supervisor is leaving. And he was so happy for the change. Right? As opposed to Queen Elizabeth. Right? I mean, she has a 90% approval rating right now. All of England is hoping that Queen Elizabeth lives forever. No one wants Charles to be king. <laughs> right? So, so again, is it good or is it bad that Jesus is unchangeable? Well, it depends on whether or not you are rejecting this Jesus or not. If you're rejecting him and you're, you're planning to reject him in an ongoing way, uh, it's not good. It's not good. John 3, 36, uh, we read this, and this, I, could, I could give you several verses, but I'll give you a couple here. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Right? Rejecting Jesus, right? it's going it's to end up with judgment for the sin that we all have, that we can do nothing about. And the only way we can have that sin remedy, have that penalty taken, is through faith in Christ. And so if we don't accept that, we reject Jesus, we reject the, the Jesus that's you know, proclaimed in the Bible, uh, He's not going to change on that. We can read lots of verses. Here's one more. First John 5, 11 and 12, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's so cut and dry throughout all of Scripture. 
right? Now, lots of people want to subscribe to kind of a feelings-based religion, and they, they feel generous towards the religious and the irreligious, and they feel like, well, if I feel that way toward myself and others, I'm sure God feels that way. But what we don't realize is that as human beings, we're blind to both the seriousness of our sin and the reality of God's holiness. We're blind to it. And so, of course, we would feel good about our own sin and about the sin of others and not be all that worried about it, that it's not all that serious and that the holiness of God is not something that I need to be concerned with. But I don't think Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would execute a plan of salvation for the world that would include the, the brutal torture and murder of God, the divine Son, who had to take on uh, the human nature so he could die that death. I'm, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't go through that kind of a plan of salvation if they were then going to say, take it or leave it. If you want to have this as your salvation, great. If not, take another option. I, I mean, I don't think that's what Holy uh, God, Son, and Holy Spirit were thinking. This plan, this gospel, it's unchangeable. And so if, we, if we're rejecting that, if we're rejecting God, rejecting Jesus, uh, He's not going to change His mind. He's not going to change in that regard. We hear His words in John 12, verse 48, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. It's Jesus saying, what I've said, I'm going to follow through on that. What I said yesterday, I'm going to follow through today and forever. I'm not going to change. I'm not going to change. And so obviously my recommendation to you today is if you have been rejecting Jesus, then, then, then you would repent from that. And you would turn to Christ in faith and accept his forgiveness that he's paid for on the cross. Because this is the one and the only way of salvation. It's the only way to be reconciled with God. That is not going to change. Jesus is not going to get to judgment day and he's, he's, you're going to be standing before him and he's going to go, ah, oh, don't worry about it. I'm changing my mind. Now we do that, right? We're mutable and we, we get down to certain situations in our, in our life and, and we change our minds and we do something different. Jesus is not like that. He is unchangeable. Now, what about those of us who've trusted in Christ for salvation? Is, is this good news? Yes, this is very good news that Jesus does not change. So, there's several reasons, but I'll just, I'm going to go into a few. So, one is that His promises can be believed. If He said it, He's going to do it. We can know that with 100% assurance that His promises are true. Here's a few of the promises that Jesus loves you. He loves you, and that's unchangeable. Right? We read in John 15, verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That, that's a promise. And there's nothing you can do to increase His love for you. His love is absolutely unchangeable. There's nothing you can do to decrease His love for you. His love is absolutely unchangeable. This is what's meant by unconditional love. It's unchangeable. And, then, and in that John 15, 9, there's the command to abide in the love. 
Because sometimes we don't acknowledge that that love is unchangeable. We don't live like that love is unchangeable. And the command is, no, no, abide in it, trust in it, walk in it, live in it. This, this is what's true. It's unchangeable. And we need to be reminded of that on an ongoing way. Jesus loves you. Jesus is also with you. He's with you. We hear him giving this promise in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. He's letting the disciples know in that moment and certainly letting us know through sacred scripture that he is with us. My peace I leave with you. You're not alone. Nothing changes that. He's he's so near you that he's dwelling inside of you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you may feel like he's distant, feel like he's, he's not there, but that's not what's true. And so he gives the command, let not your heart be troubled. I'm with you. Nothing's going to change that. It's absolutely something that we can trust in 100%. And so... Uh, we are given the, the command, let not your heart be troubled. Don't live as a functional atheist. Live as one who has Christ near you, whether you feel it or not. Because we know from God's word, it, it is unchangeable. A third promise is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. John 14, verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will take you to myself, that where I am, I'm, you may also, you may be also. Right? Jesus is saying, if, if I said yesterday that I'm coming back, I'm coming back. That is absolutely unchangeable. He's not changed his mind. Now, that's been 2,000 years since he made that promise. But we can absolutely trust that he is going to follow through on that promise. Now, we can also trust that his plans are being carried out. And these, I know these overlap, but I think it's, it's, it's a helpful way to think about in terms of promises and plans that he, he is absolutely going to, plan, to carry out the plans that he uh, has put forth. So Acts 1.8, he says to the church, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's a promise. That's a plan. Say, I, I, I am executing this in the church. You are going to be a gospel witness to the nations. Nothing's going to stop that. That is not, has not changed. It is unchangeable. You hear that in what he says to, to Peter in Matthew 16. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's unchangeable. This plan that he has executed to, to certainly save individuals, but then gather them in a church and have that church be on mission to get the gospel out to the nations. That is what he is up to. And nothing is going to change that. He has not changed his mind. This is part of what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we talked about the be, make, and multiply. That This is what God's up to. He's up to, through the church, making disciples that are growing in the basics of the faith and making disciples of others and even raising up multipliers that are are, are making disciple makers that are making disciples. Like this is a a worldwide movement that the church is a part of. This is what Jesus started when he, uh, he commissioned those first disciples. He has not backed down. He has not changed. And he will not until the mission is 
accomplished. So how do we respond? How do we respond? There's a lot of ways we can respond, but here's, here's some, some ways I think would, would, would be a good start. So one is stop trying to shape Jesus into our own image. He's unchangeable. He's immutable. We cannot shape him. We need to allow him to shape us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, for some, you're saying, well, I, just, I don't even know who this Jesus is. Who are you talking about? Well, the way you find out who he is is you explore who he is in his word, in the Bible. And so I would encourage you to, to indicate on your card or let me know, hey, I, I'd like to explore. I'd like to, to study scripture with someone, start to explore what, who he is. I want to find out who this immutable Jesus is that you're, that you're talking about. And that, that's where you find it. You find it in his word. So we want to stop trying to shape Jesus into our own image. We also want to stop putting our ultimate hope in things that change. Right? We hear First uh, John 2 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world, and the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides Forever. Think about your greatest stressors this morning. Right? A relationship or a thing that you don't have that you want. It's stressing you out. Or a relationship or thing that you do have, but it's not fulfilling your expectations. And so that's stressing you out. These things are all changing. None of these things are immutable. Right? They're mutable. And, and so we need something to, to put our full faith and trust in that is immutable that cannot be changed. Number three, we want to start believing or believe more completely in the surety of the promises and plans of Jesus. We want to start believing or believe more completely in the surety of the promises and the plans of Jesus. Now you say, well, where do I find these promises and plans? The Bible. That's where you find them. And if all we're looking at is the news feed and the social media... And we're not really looking at the Scripture, although you can look at Scripture in your phone. Then what are we being shaped by? Well, we're being shaped by that which is mutable instead of what is immutable, which is Jesus. And where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus in the page, pages of Scripture. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this, Ephesians 2 Verse 19, he's describing the church. He says, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So that's his description of the church. And he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, what's he talking about? Why, why does he, he, he kind of mentions two foundations, it seems like. He's saying the apostles and the prophets is a foundation, but then he says Jesus is the cornerstone, which is really a word for foundation. What, what is he saying? Well, what he's saying is the place where you find the immutable Jesus, who's the cornerstone, is in the immutable word of God, which is the apostles and the prophets. Apostles and prophets is just another way of saying Old Testament, New Testament. Right? Prophets of the Old Testament, apostles of the New Testament. And he's saying, this immutable word is where you discover the immutable Jesus. 
And church, this is what you found your, 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 your church on. Christian, this is what you found your life on, is the immutable word of God. The most common image of immutability in the Bible regarding God is a rock, right? God is a rock, and you can't shape rocks. Right? I've tried this. You know, I worked on it this morning. I was like, maybe I could shape this rock, kind of like Plato. I can't do it. But I could be shaped by this rock, or that window could be shaped by this rock, right? If I throw this rock through that window, the window is not going to shape the rock. The rock is going to shape the window. And this is what's true about God. We are not to, to shape God into our own image. He is immutable. Jesus is immutable. But the immutable Christ shapes us. And so we're reminded of that rock, right, every time we come to this table. And this is, this is such a beautiful reminder of, of the unshakable purposes of God. Because here's, here's Jesus standing in, in human flesh, having experienced all that human beings experience in, in the chaotic, changeable world. And he... he he stands there and he takes bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And what's happening there is, is that a plan is being carried out that had been put into motion before the foundation of the earth. God is, is not coming up with a last minute plan to save human beings. This, this night that he's experiencing with his disciples, this, this moment where he's offering up himself the very next day on the cross, all of this was willed and purposed by an immutable God. What's, what, what's so powerful about it is that the immutable God, who has no kryptonite, takes on human flesh and allows himself to be acted upon to some degree, right? And he allows our kryptonite, sin, <laughs> To, to, to impact him such that he's able to execute a plan of salvation for you and me. But again, something that's been enacted from before the foundation of the earth. And so he also takes the cup and he offers it to them and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He lets them know that this plan that's been executed by the immutable God will immutably give them forgiveness of their sin. That once they receive Christ by faith, they're, they're washed, they're forgiven. That is immutable. Nothing can shape that. It's not that, oh, this week I got my forgiveness. Oh, next week I get some more forgiveness. Next week. No, it's a once for all. That's what the, the writer of Hebrews uses that language. It's a once for all sacrifice. And once you receive that by faith, once for all, you're, you're forgiven. It's immutable because the immutable God has offered that through Christ's death on the cross. So if you're here this morning and you don't have that immutable forgiveness that you've been hungering for, longing for, receive it today by faith. Ask God to forgive you and to, to give you that new life. He, he's eager to do that. And for those of us that, that we, we have trusted in Christ, we are followers in Christ, but we've trusted in things that are changeable. And we all do this during the course of the week. 
where we've, we've started to, 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 to put more weight on changeable things than we really should. And so we come here, we hear the word preached, we see the bread in the cup, and it just rallies us around the rock again. And we, just, we, we establish ourselves yet again, yet anew, on the immutable rock of Christ. That's partly what we're doing here when we take the bread and we take the cup. Because these promises, these plans that have been given to us by Jesus, they are unchangeable. He even says to do this until I come back. That's his commandment to the church. I'll be back. I'll be back. Nothing's going to change that. So let's trust in that. Let's hope in that. Let's live established on the immutable, unchangeable Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that there is something in this world that is unchangeable, God, that we can plant our lives on and that you have made a way for us to be immutably forgiven and immutably saved and, and, and that that is unchangeable, God. Thank you that we can stand in that grace and that assurance and that hope and we can do so in the midst of a world that is very mutable, very changeable. And so, Lord, would you just reestablish ourselves today on the rock? Thank you that we can know about this great salvation through the immutable word of God. And that we can know that not just on Sunday morning, but we can get up on Monday morning and we can read about it and we can experience the immutable Christ in the pages of the immutable word of God. So thank you, God, for that treasure, for that privilege. God, would you bless the bread and the cup and bless our time of communing with you and, and just enjoying being in fellowship with each other founded on the rock. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.